Good morning. I was blushing back there. Not really. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, Ross it was voted and affirmed overwhelmingly by the congregation. So it wasn't like, oh, he just made it. No, it was overwhelming and kind of knew it was going to be that way because uh, this is his church, but uh, Ross is the next leader of Folk Church. And so the best thing and the most important thing that you can do, whether you're in-house or whether you're joining us online, is to pray for Ross and his family in the transition and for the months and the years to come. Uh, but because I think God's going to do amazing things through Ross and through uh, continue to do through his church. Uh, I've all, often said we stand on the shoulders of the people that came before us. And so uh, we again do that again. It's just kind of another transition along those ways. Uh, but we're talking, uh, we're doing a new series, as Ross said. Um, we're going to do a series. And I was thinking about this uh, months and months ago. I was thinking about... Um, the times that Jesus was challenged to give up on the mission. You ever, you ever think about that? There were times where Jesus, when he was on this earth, was challenged to give up, give in, to take a shortcut. Let me give you a couple. So the one we're going to look at today is, of course, the one that probably came to your mind was the temptation of Jesus, right? Where the enemy comes and says, you know, bow down to me and I'll give you all of these, you know, kingdoms, right? Uh, but then there's a couple mother, other ones you may not remember. So there's a time where Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, well, heaven and earth hasn't revealed that, but my Father in heaven. And then it says that Jesus went on, began to go on and share how he must suffer and die. And Peter comes to him and says, you're not going to suffer or die. I'm not going to allow it. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, get behind me, Satan, right? And there it is, right? One of his own disciples. And then there's a time where Jesus is in the house. He's preaching. He's teaching. And uh, his big crowd in the house and his mother and his brothers come. And they're outside. They can't get in. There's no room for them. And, and they say, tell Jesus to come because we want to talk to him. And essentially what they want to do is they want to grab him and they want to take him because they thought he was out of his mind. His own family. And then there's another time where Jesus is hanging on the cross, remember? And there's a hostile crowd. His mother and, and a couple other of the women were there. But mainly everyone else had bailed on him. And everyone is yelling stuff. And they're yelling things like this. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So all through his ministry, all through his time, he was challenged to give up. Give up. Give up. Take a shortcut. And so how does that apply to us? Well, it applies to us because we are kind of in that same, we're in, a, in the same battle. We're in a spiritual battle. And, and so I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 4. But I want you to understand that um, Jesus faced these roadblocks. But I want to see how he got through the roadblocks. How he didn't allow them to stop him. Or he didn't take a shortcut. Or he didn't give up. And he didn't give in. How he stuck to it. And uh, I just want you to know that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, whether you're here in-house or whether you join us online, I want you to know that you are in a spiritual battle if you love Jesus Christ. If you're one of his followers, you're in a battle, whether you know it or not. And if you don't know you're in a battle and people start shooting, you go, what's going on here? And I've heard people say things like, I became a Christian 
And all of a sudden, I have all this conflict in my life, and people are disowning me and all this other stuff. I thought my life was going to get easier. You know what that is? That's a statement of somebody who doesn't understand they're in a battle. Look at what Jesus uh, says here. This is John chapter 16, verse 33. Keep your finger in Matthew there. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, tribulation. But he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. So Jesus is, is, is telling us that this world is not going to be a cakewalk. It's going to be a challenge. If you love Jesus, there's an enemy that wants to discourage you and destroy you and just kind of make you inept. However, so look at Matthew. Let's go to Matthew 4, verse 1. So uh, let me read it to you, and then we'll go and we'll talk a little bit about it. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, I think that's interesting because I think sometimes we think that God won't allow us to go through difficult times. Here, the Spirit of God is actually allowing Jesus and leading Jesus into a place where he is going to be tested by the devil. Um, after 40 days uh, and 40 nights, he was hungry. You know what? I'm hungry about 40 minutes after I get done eating. I don't know about you. But anybody here, seriously, fasted for 40 days and 40 nights? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. And, and it wasn't the temptation at the beginning. The temptation's after. Okay? So, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he replied, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command the, his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do, uh, it is also, uh, excuse me, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to the very, a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And all this I will give to you. Can you imagine looking out that day and he sees all of the, and he said, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels attended to him. So a couple things I want to say. Uh, first thing is, it's interesting there that it says, um, if you are the Son of God, and that's a first-class Greek, you know, and all that means is it, it's assumed. So in other words, the, the enemy is saying, let's assume that it's true that you are the Son of God, all right? That, let's just take it for, for fact that that's true, all right? Now, uh, sometimes that condition means that it is true. Sometimes it means it's perceived to be true. Uh, my guess is the devil absolutely knows it's true in this case. But it, it's just kind of an interesting sidelight. But here's a couple observations about the tempter and the temptation. First, uh, you need to know that your enemy is real. Now, some people, even Christians, uh, kind of downplay uh, the 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 essence that there is a real enemy, that there is evil, that there are spiritual forces. 
Now, that seems odd to me because if we believe in spirit, a spirit world, if we believe in angels, if we believe in God, if we believe there's a world that we can't see that is good, then it seems very simply and very clearly logical that there is a world that is evil that we can't see, which is true. And that's what Scripture, that's what scripture teaches us. Um, in fact, Paul warns us in, in Ephesians chapter 6, he says this, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. Now, notice what he says next. It's very interesting. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, it is against flesh and blood. You struggle in your marriage. You struggle in your relationships with people that you work with. You struggle with your neighbors. You struggle with your children. Those are flesh and blood relationships. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying you don't have that struggle. What he is saying is that there is a, there is a spiritual dimension to those relationships, to those human relationships, there's a spiritual dimension. There are spiritual forces that are working behind the scenes in your spouse, in your kids, in your coworkers, in you. Now, you didn't want to hear that, did you? Right? But it's true. There are times that you do and say things that you think back later and go, what, in, what, brought, what, what came over me that I said or did that? Well, the enemy got a hold of you. I mean, Peter is confession, right? One minute, he's confessing the very words of God. The next minute, he's confessing the very words of the devil. Jesus says, you know, one minute he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and, and what does Jesus say? You know, Heaven has revealed, my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You're speaking the very words of heaven. And then Jesus says, but I'm going to suffer and die. And, and Peter says, no, you're not. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Right? So, so any one of us can be used by the enemy. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But let's get back to the passage. Notice what he says next. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggles, not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Okay, so what Paul is doing is really important here. He's opening the veil of a spiritual world that we can't see. It is absolutely real. It is absolutely present. It is absolutely active in the relationships and in your life and in your day. You can't see it, but you can see the effects of it. That's what Paul's saying. In other words, he's saying that as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you love Jesus, if you're one of his followers, you can expect that you are in a battle. And that the battle, the enemy, many times is concealed. You can't see it. Now somebody, C.S. Lewis, I think it was, who said, there's two mistakes we make with the devil. One is we see a devil behind every bush. And one is we say there is no devil. There is no evil. And both are mistakes. And I want to say one other thing about the, about the devil um, I think it's really important that you understand the devil is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. 
and he's not omnipotent, meaning he's not all-powerful. He probably doesn't even know who you are. But there are demons, there are powers, there are principalities that want to destroy you, they want to discourage you, they want to make your life miserable. And they, if you, go, if you start thinking, going with negative thoughts and negative patterns, they will cheer you on. And you have to be aware of that. That's all I'm saying is that there are forces going on behind the scenes that you can't see that oftentimes we don't take into account. You're in a relationship right now and it's, you're having trouble. You're part of the problem, but there's the other person is part of the problem too. But did you ever think, did you ever pray that there are, there, there are forces behind that whole thing, spiritual forces going on? There are. There are. That's the point that, that Paul's making here. In other words, we are living in enemy territory, and there is an enemy who wants to make your life miserable. He wants you to discourage you, and ultimately, he wants to destroy you. And what I've found sometimes is when I, or when our staff, or when the church, uh, we have a spiritual victory, oftentimes the enemy will come and try to discourage us with stories of, oh, this went wrong, and this went wrong, and this went wrong, so that you go, oh, I feel terrible about this event, and we should be rejoicing. <laughs> and the enemy's going, yeah, that's cool. I'm good with you being discouraged. Because if you're discouraged, if you're ready to give up, I win, right? But here's, here's how the enemy works in um, subtle ways. Do you ever wonder why it's so hard for you to pray? I mean, think about this last week, and you said you felt like, oh, maybe I should pray for this person. Do you know what I do? And it, again, this is just a habit, and sometimes forming habits helps you to do the right things. Oftentimes it does. But sometimes somebody will say, and it happened this morning, where we, I was talking to somebody, and we were, we were talking about, uh, you know, I was kind of giving a little bit of advice, whatever that was worth. And the last thing I said is, tell me this person's name, let's Pray for them right now. I do that a lot. Some of you know that when you'll say, hey, I'm going to be going in or I have a friend or a, a family member and they'll describe the situation. I'll say, stop, let's pray for them right now. Let's pray right now for them. But why is it that when you're, you don't pray more? Why? Let me give you another one. Why is it that it's so hard to read the Bible? You can read other things. You can pick up People magazine pick up the newspaper, pick up a book or a novel, and you could read for hours. In the Bible, it's like, oh, yeah, I should do that. But you don't. How about habits? Sometimes you have habits, and you know they're bad habits. You know you should be doing it, but you continue to do it. You say, someday, one day, I will. Instead of saying, today, no, right now, i got to stop. Why is it so hard to break that? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you think that maybe there's an enemy that wants to kind of keep you involved in this habit, habit so you're ineffective, so you feel bad? You feel like, oh, I guess I'm, I'm stuck with this and I guess I can't do anything for God? Or just simple laziness. There's, some of you have things that you know you should be doing and you don't do it. You know, things for the Lord. You have gifts, you have abilities, maybe you have... Uh, finances that you could leverage for the kingdom of God, and you just you're lazy about it. You just just, just oh yeah, I'll get to it, and you you know fine, you, you just never get around to it. Do you know there's an enemy that likes it when you're lazy, likes it when you're passive, likes it when you check out, likes it when you go, oh I'm too tired to get up and do this. 
That's the subtlety. And here's what I want to say. The last thing I want to say to this point is, if you have no um, fight in your Christian life, if you don't find any conflict in your Christian life, you're either spiritually, you're not spiritually alive, or you've been knocked out. You need to get back up and you need to get back into the fight, into the game. Because there's a battle going on. And you should face conflict every day. You will if you're perceptive and you see it. And you pray yourself through it. Here's the second thing I want to say about temptation. Temptation, your temptation is deceptive. Uh, Many, you've probably heard the saying, uh, sin will will, uh, take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. And that's true, isn't it? Have you ever had a time where you're, you're tempted to do something, and you do it, and then all of a sudden you do it, and then the, <laughs> then the check, you know, you, you, the bill comes in, and now you have to pay the bill, and you go, oh, I didn't know it was going to cost me this. It's wrecked your relationship. Maybe it's wrecked your marriage. He said, I didn't know it was going to cost me this much. That was just a simple thing. And the enemy, the enemy plays both sides of the fence, too. Do you ever notice that? The enemy basically says, go ahead and do it. Nobody will know. It'll, it won't hurt anyone. It'll be fine. And then you go and do it. And what happens? It hurts everyone around you. It costs you a lot more than you wanted to spend. And here's the other thing. The enemy will come. And now the enemy, the one, you know, the one that told you, go ahead and do it. It'll, no one will know. The enemy comes in and says, you call yourself a Christian. Are you kidding me? You're, you're worthless. Look at you. You're such a failure. I mean, that's what the enemy does. The enemy plays both sides. He doesn't care because what the enemy wants to do, because he can't have you, he wants you to be ineffective, discouraged, and down. That's what he wants. And many of you are walking, I don't know many, I should say, some of you are walking with your heads down. And some of you are watching right now, you're joining right now, and your head is down because the enemy has kind of got you down. But if you look closely at the temptation of Jesus, Satan, uh, when Satan comes at him, what does Jesus do? He uses scripture. Um, you know, the enemy is always going uh, to challenge God's word. Always challenge God's word. Remember the garden where Adam and Eve are in the garden and the uh, snake? <laughs> I don't know why it was a snake. I mean, I would have made it a cute little puppy or something like that, right? Uh, but the enemy comes and says to, to Eve, uh, you know, well, what's, what, what, what's going on? You know, can you, well, is it pretty good here? And, and she goes, yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, there's just only one thing we can't do. We can't eat from this tree. And he goes, oh, yeah, the tree, right? Yeah, 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 I know the deal there. God knows that if you eat from that tree, you're going to be just like him. And he doesn't like to have rivals, he knows that you, you'll know everything that you'll know. You'll be God. And he doesn't like competition. So he's, he's holding back from you. A, the God that said you can have everything. But just stay away from that. Have you ever seen that with your kids where you tell your kids, don't do that. You can do everything else. You know, play with everything else. But just don't play with that. And what's the first? It's like they make a beeline to it. It's like, really? Who taught them that? Here's the thing about Satan, and again, when I say Satan, I mean more demons and powers and principalities. I don't mean Satan personally because he's a, he's a finite being. He's not uh, omniscient or omnipresent or omnipotent. Satan, um, 
and his demons are very clever. They hide. They conceal themselves. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven, fourteen, he says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. I have heard sermons. I've actually been in churches where I've heard the pastor speak things and say things that are absolutely heretical. <laughs> and I'm sitting there looking around going, anyone want to object to this? This is heresy. This is, uh, you know, this is false teaching. Hello. And, and the worst is when people say amen to it. But, you know, I mean, you say, but wh where could the enemy be? Well, the enemy's uh, alive and well in the evangelical Christian church today, pulpits, teaching. I see it all the time. Just turn on some of the videos of uh, sermons on, on YouTube and you see absolute heresy, absolute heresy. So the third point, or the third thing I want you to see is your defense is recalling the word of God. Exactly what Jesus did. What did, what did, what did uh, Jesus do when the enemy came? Well, he quoted scripture. See, the enemy brings scripture sometimes, but twist it a little bit. Not give the full reference. But Jesus would come back and he would come with the truth of the scripture. Um, like, for instance, when he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command the angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot. So it's essentially the, the enemy is saying to Jesus, he's saying, if you jump off this building, you'll go down, but the angels will catch you. Your foot won't even touch the ground. Come on, let's try it out and see if it works. Right? And Jesus says, no. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. Now, I think one of the things that is really important, and if you have children, you should connect them with Hope Kids, our Wednesday night program, because one of the most important things is you take the word of God and you place God's word in your heart. In fact, Psalm 119 says this, says, Thy word, and <laughs> the old King James is how I memorized it, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Do you think Jesus knew Scripture pretty well? He didn't pull out a Bible. He didn't have an iPad. He had it here. And you know what? You can take Scripture and bring it to your heart. What happens is if you bring Scripture to your heart, when the enemy comes, you're able to rehearse that Scripture back, and you're able to bring uh, truth into that situation. So I want to just close by two points real quick. How do we overcome the evil one or the evil ones, or the, this evil thing? Uh, there's really just two things. Number one, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Now, what's interesting about the temptation of Jesus in Matthew, four, in Matthew uh, chapter 4 is if you go back uh, and you go to chapter 3, and just if your finger's there, go back to chapter 3 and go back to verse 16. Let me read it to you. So we're looking at Matthew 3, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. 
Do you think that this might have occurred to Jesus when he was being tempted by the enemy in the wilderness? You see, Jesus knew who he was. He was the beloved son of God. Well-pleasing. He knew who he was. He was loved by the most important person in the universe, the Godhead, right? So my question is, do you know who you are? When you are tempted to give up, to give in, can you remember who you are? Can you remember what that means? If, if you belong to him, you are his son. You are his daughter in whom he is well pleased. You're not a loser. You're not an accident. You're not a failure. No matter what anyone, whether it's your parents, your coach, your teachers, your friends, your enemies, no matter what anyone has ever said or ever will say, that is not who you are. You are a son, you are a daughter of Almighty God in whom he is well pleased. That's who you are. When you belong to Jesus Christ, that's who you are. You are his son, you are his daughter. You are handpicked by him. He loves you and nothing in the universe will ever change that. And that's really important to understand because many people, when they think, think of a father in heaven, they think of a father who is disappointed, who is angry, who is upset with them, and nothing could be further from the truth. The father loves you and accepts you. Jesus came and gave his life for you, and he loves you that much. Now, just let that sink in for a moment, because too often you are hearing negative things about who you are. And you can't look within yourself. That won't do you any good. You won't find the answer within yourself. You find the answer with the one who created you and made you in his image and calls you his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, Ephesians 2.10. That's who you are if you belong to him. And that negates everything that everyone else would ever say about you or ever has say, said about you. That's the foundation of who you are. And that's what will get you through when the enemy comes to you and said, I have a deal for you. Choose this shortcut. Choose, give up, give in, fail, you know, do this. And when you do that, you say, no, 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 I am a child of the king. I'm a son and I'm a daughter. Jesus came to give his life for me. He died on the cross for me so that I could live. He took my sins so I could be forgiven. He is the one who loves me like no one else. Nothing will ever change that. You have nothing to offer me. Let that sink in just for a minute. And then look to the future. Turn over just for a minute to Hebrews. That's towards the end of the New Testament. So in Hebrews chapter 12, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, we have the Hall of Fame. We have all the, 
the heroes who showed faith, and they were imperfect people. They weren't perfect, but they, they were heroes of the faith. And so the writer of Hebrews comes, and the whole chapter is about, you know, by faith, by faith, by faith. And then we come to chapter 12, and, and uh, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles in other words, we have all these witnesses. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Notice that phrase, fixing our eyes on Jesus, right? Do you remember the time where the disciples got in a boat to go across the Sea of Galilee, I think it was, and Jesus stayed behind, and there was a storm, and Jesus is uh, walking on the water in the midst of the storm, and he comes to the boat, and they're terrified. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. And, you know, good for Peter. I would have never done that. But Peter begins to step and walk on water. And if you read the text, it's very interesting. It says, when Peter started to look at the waves rather than Jesus, he didn't have his eyes fixed on Jesus, he began to sink. And he yelled, Lord, save me. And Jesus did. And isn't that our life? Sometimes we take our eyes off Jesus, we begin to sink. And Jesus doesn't say, all right, that's it. I'm done with you. No. He still rescues us. But let's, let's continue. He says, let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Now, this is the phrase I want you to underline in your Bibles. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The whole letter, the whole letter of Hebrews is to encourage people who are under persecution, who are going through difficult times, who are doing a spiritual battle, who are wanting to give up and wanting to give in. And, and basically the writer of Hebrews says, don't give up, don't give in. Remember the witnesses, but also remember what Jesus went through for you. And the phrase he uses is very interesting. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And I was thinking about that. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? Was it the admiration and love of the Father? No, he already had that. He had that. We read about that, right? And this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He already had that. Was it a sense of accomplishment? He didn't need that. Was it a higher level of self-esteem? I don't think he needed that either. The point is, the joy set before Jesus was your and my salvation. Us. That one day, we would share presence with him in heaven. He said, it's worth it to go through the suffering, to go through the pain, to go through the rejection, to go through all of that. The joy that I, I'm going to have that I don't have right now is you and me. That should blow your mind. 
So when the enemy comes to you, you need to remember who you are. You're a son. You're a daughter of God. You belong to him. And he's well pleased with you. Now, yes, you mess up. But just like your kids mess up, if you're a good parent, you go, oh, I hate you now. You're awful. You're the worst. No, you don't do that. I don't think you do, do you? Right? You're disappointed with them. But you do anything for them. Why would our Father in Heaven be any different? See, if you don't have this son-daughter view of your life, you're going to struggle when life begins to crush you. When the enemy comes, and he will come, focus who, on who you are, and you will say to the enemy, take a hike. You don't have anything for me. Because that's what Jesus did. At the end of 40 days and 40 nights, at the end of all the temptation, Jesus basically said to the enemy, you don't have anything for me. I have everything. And so do we. So let's not fall for the treachery and the tricks, the games and the schemes of the enemy. We are in a spiritual battle. The enemy's going to come. He doesn't care how you fail. He doesn't care how to get you discouraged as long as you're discouraged, as long as you're willing to drop out, as long as you're willing to be lazy. He wins. The enemy wins. But when we remember who we are, sons and daughters, beloved of God, we remember that it was the joy of us that caused him to go through all of the suffering. That, that, that he looked to that as the joyful thing, the day, that, that moment where we will all be gathered together. He says it's worth it. Every part of this suffering, every betrayal, every physical pain, it is all worth it. When we think of that, we bask in, our, in, in who we are and what he's done and all of that. When the enemy comes, we go, I'm sorry, do you have something? Because I don't hear it. That's how you win the battle. Be aware of it. Know who you are. Know the scripture. And you will allow these moments of temptation and discouragement to be short-lived. Because you have somebody who said to you, you're not a loser, you're not a failure. You're my son, you're my daughter, whom I'm well pleased. Bask in that, and it will lift you up. So as we stand together, let me lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Help us, Father, because we need to know this. We need to take it into our hearts. This truth is so important for not only for our eternity, but for our day-to-day -day lives. Help us to see that there is an, uh, an energized, spiritual, evil dimension to this life. And it can affect the people around us, and it can affect us if we're not careful. Help us to always remind ourselves who we are. And remember what Jesus went through for us. And he saw it as a labor of joy. And may that break our hearts every time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.